three, two, one. We're back at the Cornelius Reeves the Gospel Podcast. I actually took a break last night on New Year's Eve. I thought I was gonna stay up and do this shit, record this uh, podcast all night. Ended up going out with some good friends, celebrating New Year, this hygiene festival. Macho. <coughs> I think actually what got to me was reading about Jesus eating wine and cake. I was like, man, I like some wine and cake. It was definitely a good time. So, in any case, I'm going to pick back up. So, the Sermon on the Mount actually goes for two more chapters in Matthew. It's a little bit more elaborately written than in Luke. So, I'm just going to keep reading that. All right. So, I'm just going to pick up with uh, Matthew chapter 6. Um, be especially careful when you are trying to be so good that you don't make... Be especially careful when you are trying to be good that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. When you do something for someone else, don't call attention to yourself. You've seen them in action, I'm sure, play actors, I call them, treating prayer meeting and street corner alike as a stage, acting compassionate as long as someone is watching, playing to the crowds. They get applause, true, but that's all they get. When you help someone out, don't think how it looks. When you help someone out, don't think how it looks. Just do it quietly and unobtrusively. That is the way your God, who conceived you and loved, working behind the scenes, helps you out. And when you become and when you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for 15 minutes of fame. Do you think God sits in a box seat? Here's what I want you to do. Find the quiet, secluded place you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that. This is your father you're dealing with. Notice how Jesus says your father, just like you would say his own father, the son of God, right? And he knows better than what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply like this. Our father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do its best as above, so below. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're ablaze in beauty. Yes, yes, yes. In prayer, there is a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. When you practice some appetite-denying discipline to better concentrate on God, don't make a production out of it. It might turn you into a small-time celebrity, but it won't make you a saint. If you go into training inwardly, act normal outwardly. Shampoo and comb your hair, brush your teeth, wash your face. God doesn't require attention-getting devices. He won't overlook what you are doing. He'll reward you well. Don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, the place where you want to be and end up being. Your eyes are windows into your body. 
If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. If you live squinty-eyed in greed and distressed, your body is a musty cellar. If you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you will have. You can't worship two gods at once. Loving one god, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. If you decide for God, live a life of God worship. It follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at meal times or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There's far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down by a job description, careless in the care of God. And yet you count far more to him than birds. Has anyone by fussing in front of the mirror ever got taller by so much as an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion. Do you think it makes that much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They never primp or shop. But have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The 10 best dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know how God and the way he works over these things. People don't know God. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the times come. That's chapter 6. And uh, he's just continuing here. I actually want to go back to something in chapter 5. Uh, he actually returns to it. But <clears throat> when he's extending in chapter 5, when he's talking about murder. So everyone's like, yeah, don't murder. But he says... The words you use are like murder. When you call your brother idiot, you might find yourself hauled into court. You call your sister stupid. You are on the brink of hellfire. When he talks about adultery, he does the same thing. He says, don't go to bed with another spouse. Yes, that's adultery. But your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker than your body. So that's for those when you're trying to govern your relationships. And people talk about infidelity like it happens more than just the physical actions. It also happens before that even happens. You know, people don't like to think about these things, but it's there. Empty promises. Don't say anything you don't mean. Mean what you say. Um, love your enemies. He says he, he rebukes this idea, eye for an eye or two for a tooth, which in some sense I think was in the Old Testament. Jesus says, don't do that. Just let it go. Um, these are interesting remixes to the Ten Commandments. So I'm actually going to stop here for chapter 6 and pick back up on chapter 7.